I can't wait. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live, baby, on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me once again, Mark McGrath, the singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120, heard weekends on the 90s on 9 here on Sirius XM. He is a four-hit wonder, a three-time <laughs> champion of rock and roll Jeopardy, and for the third time, we will together be taking a look back at one-hit wonders of pop music's failed follow-up singles. Hello. Nice to see you again, buddy. Michael Tully, this is always so much fun. I have I, you know, I have so much fun doing this one-hit wonder show with you, and it's uh, and social media, actually. People are reaching out saying how much fun it is, so uh, I'm glad people are enjoying it, because I am. You know what's funny is the first time we did one of these, I made a playlist that I thought would be enough for one episode. Yeah. And we are still wa- working off of that original <laughs> playlist here on uh, episode three. And I have a feeling there's a pretty easy episode four out there if we want it. And I think I want it. Well, I, I want it too. And it shows you our love for the music. You know, there is a, I, of course, there's always an irony when you're dealing with one hit wonders, but I love the music. Mm-hmm. And I don't listen to music with irony. We're talking about genres earlier. Yeah. You know, um, emo, grunge, and all that. And every, every, every sort of uh, genre or every type of music has, of course, it's um, you know it, it's downers and it's bummers, but everyone also has its most uplifting creative moments. You know that's why they are of movements. That's why we look back at them. Yeah, and I think that I I like this kind of stuff for the same reason. For one of the reasons that I also love going back and watching like eighties movies or something. It's funny to see the tropes. Yes, the things that were. Maybe obvious to an old, a lot of these are eighties and early nineties stuff. I was basically a kid then. You're you're not much older than me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> thank you. Though. And you just miss stuff. You didn't like. I would pay money to watch a guy on stage just go. Okay, now if this was a, a single that I was hired to do keys on in nineteen seventy nine, this is the chord phrasing that I would use. But if it's a Tina Turner record in 84, here's the note that I'm going to throw in there. And you go, oh, my God, it just went from 1979 to 1984. And sure, changing from a piano to something synthetic would be half of that, maybe more than half. But it's these flavors. I talked to my wife about it. She designs fashion. And she said, oh, yeah, we all know if you want to make it look 70s, we're going to blow out these colors. We're going to do this. When you... When you listen to the songs that didn't work, right, you kind of are just left with the tropes. You're you're totally right, and you know why some had legs and some don't. You know, some are just so identified with an era; it's impossible to you know to to still be relevant today. I mean, we look back with you know retrospective optics, if you will. Mm-hmm. We have that we have that luxury, but uh, man, it's always fun to do. Before we get into music, I do want to ask you briefly about. Uh, Celebrity Big Brother. Yeah. You were on there. I I talked to people who are big fans of the show. They assured me you did not embarrass yourself in any way. <laughs> oh, thank God. Good liars. Uh, you know, that was uh, that was an experience. You know, I, I, I got asked to do the show, and I'm a fan of Big Brother. I'm not a super fan. Um, and ironically, I kind of got into the last season last year because there was a, a, a beautiful Latina on there, let's be honest. And I married one, and that's kind of right in my wheelhouse. So I watched the show, and I ended up, you know, getting 
stuck back into the, the phenomenon that is Big Brother. It's a great show. It's well done. And uh, towards the end of the year, Julie Chen, the host, said, we'll be doing a celebrity version next year for the first time. And I said, wow, that'll be fun to watch. Never even thinking in a million years. You know, and I went back to my, my life and uh, coaching uh, my son's basketball team. And then I got a, co- a call from my agent and said, uh, I know this is crazy. You'll never want to do it, but would you like to do Celebrity Big Brother? Ah. Instantly said, yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Hardest thing I've ever done. By far one of the hardest things I've ever done. You know, imagine going into a room right now and sitting there for four hours and just crushing boredom. No, no, there's, you know, there's no communication, there's no TV, there's no reading, nothing. It was, you know, you see 5% of that show. Yeah. And 95% is living in that house. Jury duty. Oh, it is jury duty. It's an incredible experience that you, you, you really get to know your house guests very well. And, and I'm glad I did it, but it was like a mountain. You know, it's like, it's there. Let me give it a shot. You kind of get in your routine as a dad, you know, doing your life. Here, here's my daily thing. And to have something really take me out of my day-to-day routine was, was, was the challenge. You know, it was, it was there. Let me give it a shot. And it was fun. And I thought I'd be out in three days. You know, they'll, they'll, you know, because I'm kind of acerbic and I'm all great on you, as you know. And uh, and I made it to the finale. I got third place after all. You know, I was uh, one stupid answer away from getting three hundred thousand dollars. Oh, man. <laughs> I oh, I didn't realize there was that much money. I was just about to say you love winning contests on TV, but I, that's legitimate money. It was legitimate. Though. I mean, look, we, we got a nice we got a nice check <laughs> to walk in there. But there was a thing at the end. I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up quickly where, you know, the price is right thing where you bid a dollar so you don't go over yep. so you can win. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what happened towards the end. There was a last question to, to sort of, you're going to be the one that kind of goes to the end and wins all this money and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I think I got this. I don't think I need to do the dollar thing. I don't think I'm going to go over because I, I remember this event and I, I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a valid guess. Was it, can I ask what the question is? The question was how many seconds did it take for someone to fall off a, uh, a competition we had? Oh, okay, okay. So, so you had to go, okay, the competition about, was about an hour and you know what I mean? You had to do a quick math in your head. Um, and, not only did I go over, I went over by the most by all of us. So if I had bet a dollar, I would have won and gone to the final two in Big Brother and probably would have uh, won the whole show because, you know, the person that um, the won uh, – one because they didn't like the uh, management of the other person. It's, it's kind of hard. It's, I'm 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 kind of convoluting the whole thing. I made a stupid decision at the end of what, I was, what I'm trying to say. Have you ever, in the middle of the night, stared at the ceiling thinking about that decision? <laughs> yes, I, I can tell. It's pretty I did obvious. last night. You know, <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing, dude. It's like it's like that's a lot of money. That's a ton of money. I don't care if you have money or don't have money. So it was very close. I'd beat, up, also, I'd beat up just about anybody for that money. Yeah, no, exactly. Me too. Except except you. When I, I was afraid to fight you that one time and. St- Still am. So I, I it just, I, but the fact that I got the finale and like I, 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 I did okay. I didn't embarrass mm-hmm. myself as much as I could have, and as I have in the in the past. So it was a fun thing to do, and it was a good look. And you know, there's a whole generation of kids that have, that love Big Brother that kind of got turned on to what I do in Sugar Ray. So it was it was fun. It was a fun thing to do. The only uh, question I want to ask you about that before we get into the music is. My grandmother always used to say, if somebody said something uh, disagreeable, she would always say, "Consider the source." Yeah. Um. When Omarosa came out of that, you know, did her thing. There were the videos of her uh, saying what she, whatever she said about the the government and the Trump administration. I'm not asking for your opinion on that. Based on the time you spent with her, how much stock do you put in the sorts of things that come out of her mouth? You know, it, it it's very interesting. You know, I it's you know, you're listening to all these sort of conspiracy theories and, and and opinions and and you know what went down in the White House and like if it was like your friend or someone you knew you'd be like bullshit. But this is someone who was just in the Situation Room with Trump a month ago. But 
It's Omarosa. But it is Omarosa. So you have to consider the filter. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you have to sort of, you know... Uh, Half the stuff she says is is reality bullshit, and the other half is real. So you, somewhere in between there lies the truth. She's a very smart and cunning person. She was always playing the game. Yeah. So if she ever gave you White House stuff, of course, all her ears would perk up. And exactly. And it, that's why you're suspicious of it is because, and you would think that for certain people you'd say, okay, now we're talking about matters of global significance. Maybe it's time to stop playing reality TV games but I'm not sure that applies to her or the president. That, that's right. And that was a crazy thing. And when I found out after I got out of the house, because you literally get no news. I didn't know who won the Super Bowl. I didn't know about the park. It was a hell of a game, Mark. We knew about I, I know. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, I don't even watch football anymore, and it was fucking awesome. I heard it was unbelievable. Yeah. But so here's whatever they said. It's no, too bad I, I missed it. <laughs> I felt like that with a lot of things, believe me. But we came out, and apparently that, you know, that, that she, even a White House press conference, Big Brother was referenced in a White House press conference. Not so shocking. I, it's just, uh, yeah, so uh, the irony about Omarosa, she's one of my favorite people in the house. She's fun. She's lighthearted. She makes fun of herself. She's very self-aware. And on my, I, my, my 50th birthday a month ago, I went to Hawaii, and... um I had won an HOH competition as something where you, you get your own room and you get to read a letter from your family and you get pictures of your family, so it's a big deal. In one of my letters, uh, my wife had said, hey, Mark, we're going to Hawaii for your 50th. It's all booked, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, oh, that's just exciting. And Omarosa goes, oh, I want to go. And I go, yeah, you're welcome. Like as a token, you know, common courtesy thing. Like no yes. problem. Like three days before we're going to Hawaii after the house. So I'm all booked. I'll see you there. And I'm like, oh my God. So she actually came and joined us and, and she was lovely. She's actually a great person. And maybe Dave Navarro is a person who has a, a more skewed public perception uh, of who they really are. Because Dave Navarro is really funny and, and, and great and, and lighthearted. And, well, that and, documentary also changed everything. That did too as well. You're exactly right. Maybe you, you knew about that stuff. I didn't know anything about that at all. And I felt badly for the things I had thought and said about Dave Navarro when I just saw the trailer for that documentary. And he's talking about a, uh, a documentary called Morning Sun, which is something incredible to watch, and there's so much film, and it's it's done so well. The violence and evil in his childhood. You'll get the insight to how where Dave is and where, where he's coming from. And, and um, you know, to, to switch gears in a terrible segue, but Omarosa was something that I, I, I didn't know if I would like. I, I ended up really liking her a lot as a person. You know, It's and, funny and, how and often to hear that me happens. say that, you know, two months later, our politics aren't the same, you know, mm-hmm. but it was just interesting. Very interesting. So the Big Brother experience, just to kind of tie it up and button up, was uh, one of the most incredible things I've ever done, one of the most difficult things I've ever done, and something I, I don't regret doing, but I probably would do again. Yeah, it sounds like you loved it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it was, dude? It was one of those things yeah. when it was over, I was just like, man, I'm glad I did that. And it was difficult going through it. I keep saying that. Keep, uh, man, that is becoming the fucking mantra of this show. People who listen, are, I'm not going to repeat the whole spiel because uh, I've said it every single show for a couple shows running now. But just do shit. Just get off your ass and do something different. It's a little bit difficult. And then you look back and you're like, that was that was great. And when you do nothing and you sit on your couch, you look back and you have regret. And I, I don't think there's... All I've learned from listening to old people for as long as I can put up with them is that <laughs> regret becomes this incredibly powerful force in your life when you get older. And it's like what they say. You don't regret the things you failed at. You regret the things you didn't try. And God damn it, I, I'm, I'm sure I already have regrets from the first 40 of years of my life. Of course. But I will have less from the next 20 or 30 until I myself am old because I'm just out there fucking doing stuff. Well, that's a powerful thing to say every time you do a show, Tully. I mean, I, I'm inspired by hearing you say that. And, yeah. And you're right. And 90% of the time, it is not as bad or even a quarter as bad as you thought it was going to be. In mm-hmm. fact, it will be rewarding. 
thing. Yeah. You know, and another thing about luck, and, and my career has been totally uh, inspired by and motivated by luck, luck has never knocked me on my shoulder when I was on the couch. Never. Destiny luck favors is outside- the well-prepared. Well, yeah, it's outside your door. Yeah. So you got to get out there and make it happen, and regret is a bummer. So being asked to do Big, big Brother and not have done it mm-hmm. would always have been a regret in my mind. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did it. There you go. Luck most certainly played a role in this next artist's career. (laughs) Our first one-hit wonder. But I would personally argue quite a bit of skill as well. I try to be a little bit more careful about the songs I put together this time because you have a reputation to protect that you do protect. Mark, uh, you are sensitive to me calling somebody a one-hit wonder when they technically had another song. I don't know what the threshold would be for a hit. So let me know. Let me let you know going into this. The first song, straight up top 10, I think it was number six. The follow-up single went as high as number 18 That's... in America. You'll for sure know what this is. I just crammed this in because I fucking... Oh, I love it. I love it. Because I fucking love this song. <laughs> so good. Nothing better. Who cares if it's in German? If you can understand the lyrics, which is amazing, it's a hit in German. You want to hear a pre-chorus? Falco's got pre-choruses. All this. I got the seven-minute version of this. It's a better song than Rock Me Amadeus. Way, way better. It's easy to see why Rock Me Amadeus was the phenomenon. It was so. It was like. German Max Headroom come to life or something. Right, and he was very charismatic yeah. and likable. And the, the video format really drove his songs. Yeah, so that is Falco off of Falco 3. And uh, see, I see they just did the 25th anniversary reissue. Falco died in, like I think, a motorcycle accident on, Mal- yeah. on Malta. It was just the perfect... Falco, way to go! It was, a, it, was a, it was a great way to go, but yeah, you know he it's it's you know it's never a great way to go. It's terrible to say, but you know Falco really, like I said, was really benefited from the video age. Mm-hmm. Would uh, Rock Me Amadeus been such a huge hit without all the pomp and circumstance of that video and the charisma of Falco? So sometimes a package works, yeah, and uh, really manifesting the one hit wonderness. Falco mm-hmm. is, is unfortunately a one hit wonder. I understand that. I, I disagree with it. I think you know Derek Commissar. You know, See, the, the the big single version of that was the English version by After the Fire, although Fal- right. Falco did release his German version, did not crack the charts. Right, but there's it, an interesting thing being having grown up in Los Angeles. A lot of these songs were very big to us out here because K-Rock played it to us. So them being one-hit wonder status and certainly on the charts reflecting that, they were hits to us because they were in our rotation on, on K-Rock here, which is so interesting about Depeche Mode and bands like The Cure and so many other one-hit wonders of the new wave faction that we all love that might not have been big, you know, in between L.A. and New York, but here in Los Angeles, they, they were gigantic. I mean, Flock of Seagulls has 30 hits to me. To some people, they have one hit. Now, those are fine words to me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, gi- I'll give them two. There's not a goddamn chance K-Rock was playing this failed follow-up single to a one-hit wonder. <laughs> Rockwell Phil right there. Are you cra- kidding? <laughs> That's Rockwell's ball, right? Yeah, this is Rockwell. Yeah. How do you know that? You know everything. <laughs> Who the fuck? You know, it's not even on iTunes. I'm looking at the shitty piece of shit video. What like I don't snuck- remember is the name of the song. Forgive me. 
I love when the first one works, and so they have the second song loaded up that's the exact same Same song. Same thing. So Rockwell's breakthrough hit, if it may be so-called, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Which got a big assist from one Michael Jackson. Without the Michael Jackson hook, nobody ever would have heard of it. And I don't know why he had that accent, because he's Barry Gordy's son. He's Barry Gordy's son, exactly. I know why he had the accent. Why? Because he can't sing. (laughs) So he's talks like this and, you know, the Vincent Price thing, you know? Right. If he could sing, he'd be singing. Listen to the song. I'd rather not. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Obscene Phone Caller. So the first time somebody was was watching him, the second time somebody was calling him. That's right. I thought it was answering machine. I was going to say that. but uh, He also had a song on the Last Dragon soundtrack that's kind of sweet. Oh, and that one was about, uh, I swear to God, it's, it's, uh, it's about a lady stalking him. Well, it must, it must have been... Uh, all he did. I think it's like She's My Stalker is the name of it. He was a good-looking guy, Rockwell. He had the whole thing and the whole, had kind of the prince ready for the world kind of uh, aesthetic. Yeah. Remember that little, little chalk and milk mustache? He, and could, he would have fit right in in the time. High collars with the with the jerry curl and the whole thing. And, yeah. And what what do we know what that got to, uh, chart-wise? Or, or? As a matter of fact, I do. Obscene phone caller. I, I think... I think it may have cracked the top 40, believe it or I not. I think it definitely did. Just barely. I have it here as like number 38, so Got I think you. I went back later and scribbled <laughs> that in. <laughs> I think they forced the video on us, too, because obviously Barry Gordy's son had a lot of... Uh, a muscle and pull behind him. So I think Well, that- I don't know if you knew this, Mark, but he actually got signed by the label uh, under uh, an assumed name. Yeah, I know. Right. I know. Barry Gordy didn't know his, his son until it was number one on the charts. Yeah. yeah Barry Gordy was famously totally hands-off with Motown yeah. artists. <laughs> records he released. <laughs> That's the story. It's, you know, Nicolas Cage we'll is Nicolas Cage because he couldn't be a Coppola. Right. It's, <laughs> it's all of that. All showbiz. The difference being Nicolas Cage could have made it without the Coppola connection. Rockwell. Do you think so? In retrospect, is Nicolas Cage as good as the actor as we thought he was when he won the uh, Oscar? Or or has his career just been defined by money grabs? Is the, you know, is the talent there? Oh god, yeah. Yes, absolutely because he he could I don't know if he I don't know if he can do it all and I don't know if he could always do it all, but he did do it all. He is fucking hilarious. He is funny. In Raising Arizona. You're right. You're he right. he is, was a very effective, albeit poorly dated, action superstar. Yes, and and honeymoon in Vegas. Remember that with James Conn? Oh no, no, no! I, I'm no. saying it wrong. I'm, I'm thinking of Leaving Las Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas. I with, never actually watched Leaving Las Vegas. That, that's great. His timing and James Conn and all that's great. Sarah Jessica Parker and a young Bruno Mars does an Elvis impersonation and uh, impersonation. impersonation. Oh, I see. Impersonation. That's in... before he started doing sting impersonations. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're working. Wherever it's happening, that guy, that's a talented kid right there. Worked in the Michael Jackson thing in the middle. He's very good. He's he, a he, terrific yeah. mimic. I hate talent. Can you? Uh, I know you can't compete with it. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I trust me. I'm, talent makes me angry. Pocket story of my life. Rockwell makes me happy. <laughs> talent makes me angry. Well, fear not. This next act had very little talent. <laughs> <laughs> Who's one? What one hit wonder to release this film follow up single? Dang, girl, I got something to say. You don't know this one, huh? I gotta hear the rapping. All the girls started laughing at me. I had to make a crack. 
quick retreat and get ready for round two. Is this K7 or is it... my love is like a bomb nope. about to explode. No a huge like refuge, so song. I'm walking, I'm talking. Damn, girl, I just... That did not sound very much like this. Uh, it, it's not Candyman, right? It's... That's him singing? I'm not clear on who the lead person of this uh, is. I'm very were, disappointed they were, they were in myself. A, they were a collective. It's not CNC. Nope. Not. Is it 80s? No, this would be 90s. It's not Urban Dance Squad. Please, nope. God, this one time, give me a night of ecstasy just for two. So I open my eyes into my surprise. God, that's, that voice sounds very familiar. I'm not sure. Arrested Development? No, it is not. They, they have more than mine. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I'm, I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't have it. Well, good. Our, mercifully, our sample is run out as well from iTunes. That is You All Dat, the follow-up single to Who Let the Dogs Out. Oh, Bye, my Bahaman. gosh. You know why that threw me hardcore? That production sounded like late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. It sounded that bad to me. I didn't know there was girls in the Baja men. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a lot going on there. I don't know any who let the dogs out is a is a hook. I don't. I strongly doubt that I ever. I, I can tell you for sure. I never actively listened to the whole song all the way through. I'm yeah, but what's sure. the verse? How does the verse even go? Exactly. I don't even know. Exactly. So who's the lead singer of the Baja Men? I don't know. Wow, I, I'm surprised by that. And we we're t- we touched on it earlier. The production on that sounds so archaic, and, and you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. and that was a follow up to Who Let the Dogs Out, so they had you know they had the best available to them. Well, no, no, and that's came... not true. That's not true because that's on the same album. That's not the follow up single to Who, to Who Let the Dogs Out. It, it is from the same album as oh, Who I Let the Dogs saying. Out. So, so they, they had, had not... what they had. Yeah, exactly. There was another single that came off a follow up album that I did not trouble myself to listen to. I think there was a song that was sort of a little bit of a minimal play that wasn't that, but. It's semantics, isn't it? But that was a follow-up single. What was that called again? You All Dad. You All Dad and more. <laughs> it just starts at the title, huh? Yep, 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 yep. There, I don't, it turns out there may not have been all that much to the Baja Man. <laughs> I'm disappointed in not even like... Because that's in my era. You know, that was great when I was very chart-savvy and, and, re, and, you know, and really like... Uh, aware of what was coming out, what the competition was, no matter what genre, you know. So I'm, I'm disappointed in myself in that one. Got Rockwell, but yeah, I'm yeah, I, I yeah. You can hang your head. On that. <laughs> so this one, I would not be surprised if to you this is a hit song because this would seem, having not listened to L.A. K. Rock back in the day, to be in their uh, wheelhouse, a la Flock of Seagulls. But this song peaked at number ninety on the charts. In fairness. I'm not sure. Well, here I'll give you. They're a, not I'll probably you, consider you, you, a pop band, are they? That's what you're telling me. Uh, I think they're pop enough. This is actually arguably good. This is uh, modern English. Yeah, indeed, right? It's a great song. It's a nice little song. Do you remember ink and paper? Can't seem to put it down. I don't know that. It was. I think it was the follow-up to I Melt With You. I think this might be the first single off the record after I Melt With You. You might be right. So these are the I Melt With You guys. Yeah, this is the modern English. And the the hint that I was that I reserved was, I don't think I Melt With You was all that big of a hit. It wasn't. 
when it came out. It wasn't. Right. That's the irony. In fact, they released it twice. There was the I Melt With You, you know, 82, then I Melt With You, I think 88. And literally the same band released the same song again. Right. And And that's why I'm usually pretty good if I listen to the 80s on 8. I can listen to a song and I can generally guess within... Uh, a year before or after what year it came out. Right. And I Melt With You would be one of those songs that would get me because it doesn't really sound like the late 80s. It sounds like it should have been in a John Hughes movie from 1984. It, was, it is 82, I think. Right. 80, 83. But it popped. The song is so good, by the way. Yeah. Forget how good the song is. Um, yeah, but it popped. It popped throughout the decade. Mm-hmm. It's one of those songs like... It's like the Femmes. Exactly. It's a song that just kept, you know, just growing and growing and growing as it was passed down through generations where, ironically, sometimes it stops when, like, I don't want to listen to my brother's music or my sister's music, but that's a song that kept on having legs, much like um, a lot of that music from the 80s did. Like, <clears throat> what I like about you wasn't a big hit. It took a while for it to grow. It wasn't a big chart hit. It got to, like, 22 or something. But it was... If I'm not mistaken, an MTV hit. It was definitely an MTV hit, but wasn't a big chart. What I like about you to me is Louie Louie. It's that big. It's a gigantic yeah. song. But chart-wise, I don't think it got past. I don't think it got into the top 20. You're probably right. Uh, but again, to the to the to my point about the MTV hit, I think that there were these shadow hits that happened. I'll give you an example. So at a certain point, my parents took away my cable. I had cable oh. when, when, I know, it was brutal. I wanted my MTV. When, uh, when I, what I like about you is out. So to me, that's one of the seminal songs of the 80s. And, and now it is. I remember all my friends treated um, Pop Goes the World by Men Without Hats as a Titanic hit. Right. And I literally never heard the song until I was over one of their homes and, and saw it on MTV where it had been playing hourly for weeks. Isn't that insane? So there was these songs that Billboard was not the be-all and end-all. It's sort of almost like where Saturday Night Live is where if you if you couldn't get past the gate, if you were a Saturday Night Live style person, yes. if you couldn't get past that gate, you were never going anywhere. And if you didn't pop when you were on there, we would never hear from you again. That's entirely Now correct. there are people who go on SNL, it doesn't work, and then they have careers afterwards. Yeah. It's just not the, um, it's not the streamlined fame-making process or credibility-giving process that it used to be. That's entirely right. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, a lot of hits are subjective. and and But we are talking in today. We're basing it on chart activity, which makes interesting. And, and Modern English is another one of those bands, a K-Rock band, dude, that, I mean... Yeah, you know, I could name like Ink and Paper. I said was another hit. Now I could name like four modern English hits to me, and and you know I understand that they are a one hit wonder in the world. I do understand that. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a shame that people. Are, to me, it's a shame that you know, like, we've we've talked about this that artists like like The Verve are considered one hit wonders. I consider them a no hit wonder. I, I I do not give that song. Bittersweet Symphony. Are you out of your mind? One of the biggest songs in the '90s, and it was he a did, hit. He did very okay. It is a hit. It, it is a hit. It is a hit. But he, to me, he did very, very little with. The good part is the part that he had to pay. Did the he stole? For. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. That's interesting because if you take it out, is it a good song? I don't know, but it's like I, a ten-second bit too. He doesn't have another bit. It'd be different. I would respect it's it for a bit of sweet symphony. symphony life. Change I can change. I, I can change. change. That's come on. And, dude. and the rest of the album's great too. Lucky Man and Sonnet. It's just see so if yeah. you only had one song off that, I would agree with you. Yeah. Uh, do you know that Jagger and uh, Richards own a hundred percent? I do. I think song. we've discussed that before. I do we'll know do that. it again too. I uh, <laughs> I. I was in all those bands, and for some weird reason, I just drew the line at the Verve. That's like what you think. When you're such great guitar playing in that band, when you um them and spiritualized, spiritualized I never got was like 
oh, just get this record. It will become your favorite thing yeah. in the world. And I'm like, oh, it's so strange because I've listened to it 10 times now and <laughs> I, like I feel like I don't like it. That's really <laughs> right. odd. What is wrong with me? Right. But uh, no, that's interesting because it, 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 but we're saying, you know, Chris Isaac is considered a one hit wonder, which is a shame. He's got so many great, you know, there are bands that have, uh, have such a rich tapestry uh, of, of, of a catalog mm-hmm. that are considered one hit wonders, which is a shame. Yeah. And that's why I, they're kind of fighting words for me. I mean, people call us a one hit wonder sometimes. And like, you know, they just want us to be. Right, and it pisses them Even off. Even if it doesn't fit the facts. yeah, no, but just want it. They want us to want to wonder, and 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 I understand, and I, and I understand there was a little bit of a there was a little bit of a time in the nineties, late nineties, where they were letting everybody in, and bands that sold a lot of records maybe didn't necessarily deserve to sell a lot of records. So that that was an interesting time to be part of, you know what I mean? And I'm calling my band one of those. So um, did you see that article? I thought of you um, uh, on the Onion that. Because I'm 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 down on a lot of shit on music all day. You know you know that's yeah, of kind course. of part of my job. Of course, it was was it the AV Club that where they were like, oh, we figured out like the worst week that in music history. And yeah, was, a shit came out and you guys were in the mix. Oh, of, we always of, get sent to that. You know, you know, the funny thing about me and I swear to God, I'd be saying this if you weren't here. Like, there's been way that wasn't the greatest week in the history of music, but there have been way worse. And I will admit that being part of that week, but there's something about that era, the late nineties, and like I am the bullseye of it. Like the, it won't stop the uh the assassinations, the the dissing, you know, of that late it just won't stop. Like the stink of the nineties is gone, but just some some of that era, like the stuff I get in social media still, it just will not stop. It's really interesting. And I think it's because the infrastructure of music kind of blew up. You know, they don't make bands anymore. You kind of got to find them in different eras so we're kind of the last of that era was kind of you, know, you went through this sort of you know the the, the machine of going on mtv and buying yeah. a record and all that i think it's gonna take a couple of generations for it to go away or it may never go away i just may be the bullseye of douchiness for the rest of my life it's something i gotta live with by the way i get paid very well for it so i'm not mad at it but uh it's that's the douche that's the douchiest way to defend being accused of being a douche isn't that is not weird well that's why i'm a douche you know you're not a douche but you, you know, know what i'm not. saying it's like there's just a there's there's something that crawled up people's asses with that era and didn't leave. I mean, every decade had one, whether it was the Herman's Hermits or the Fred and the Dreamers, and of course the 70s all had it and the 80s all had it. The 80s had it and in space. With the hair metal, you know, with all that, and that took a long time. Even that now is being embraced and, and people are, are... To the extent that it can be, right. That it can be, exactly. So, But there's still just such a passionate anger and... Uh, and a polarizing effect to these late bands of the '90s. You know, I am one of them, and I see it with my other my you, peers. You too. are right that that was the end of of them at least successfully manufacturing that stuff because I'm not really sure what the next thing was. They haven't really been able to pull together a next big thing in rock. They have in pop, but. The next, the next thing that was an identifiable movement, at least to the media, was the garage thing, right? And right. Clearly, the star making for was not there. For was not there at all. The Strokes and the White Stripes, nor did they desire. But maybe no one there. cares anymore. I mean, all, all of what that really is being made through social media is the is the mumble rap type deal, and like mm-hmm. the bands are kind of falling through the wayside. Yeah, you know, Greta Von Fleet, you know, sneaks through every now and then, but yeah. it, it's kind of over. So I think we were the last sort of uh, like you know. Um, like visual component of that rockness, and if and like we were kind of the last ones to be 
really have a platform to be made fun of, and nothing came after that. So we're kind of hanging on that like edge of like oh, just just funny. just take like we're like a big giant paintball target that's been sitting there, and no one's let us go over the edge for the last twenty because years. Because nobody's come along. Because no one's come along. That's a really interesting point. So that you're the end of the monoculture. That's it. Where everybody you could make. It's funny. I go out and you know when I'm dabbling in my comedy, people are still making reference to movies that are twenty. 30 years old reason being there's nothing that came out in the last 10 years that you know everybody in the room has, has seen. seen has seen that's it you're right because there was a sharedness to like everybody knows about sugar a and smash yeah. mouth and, and 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 by the way I, I i'm so lucky and thankful for that but you know on the other side of that mm-hmm. there's a everybody knows about smash mouth and sugar, you, know, you know what i mean so we're the last ones that have the collective oh we can all decide that that is douchey together or we can all make fun of that together because everything else has been so separated by everybody getting their information from different areas and yeah and 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 on the technology and and where kids find their music today but that's the last thing we all share we can all agree that is this you brought us interesting you've brought us a lot of joy mark (laughs) (laughs) i am going you always have to bring me back (laughs) i am going to guess that you know this song and you perhaps even consider this a bit of a hit if not i'm sure you'll be able to guess who the artist is Is it the fix? It's, it's very fixy, but it's not the fix. No, interesting. I don't see you. I can hear that. It doesn't jump at me right away. It's not bad. Not nearly as sticky as the signature hit. I'm gonna be mad at myself, right? It's not Wang Chung. It's that area. It's not Wang Chung. But it's that mid '80s, right? Wang Chung had dance all days. Dance all days. Wang Chung gets shit on. I don't know why. I don't mean either. called Wang Chung. Well, I think it's everybody. Yeah, everybody have everybody fun. Everybody have tonight. fun tonight. No, Sounds a little vapid. <laughs> I liked it. I'm not getting this one. This is Thomas Dolby. Oh, Thomas Dolby. Of she blinded me with science. Fame. But Thomas Dolby had hits to me, so I wasn't thinking what hit wonder. Okay, I'm. Uh, she she blinded me with science. Number six. This time, at least, I may have missed something. I did go through the Wikipedia and look for other things that had chart significance. I right. think he had a number of hits over of overseas, and which means he had him here in K Rock. So gotcha. I, I wasn't even thinking in that in that capacity. One of our submarines topped out at number seventeen. That's a nice little song. Seventeen in in in, in the states. Yeah, that one did. Mm-hmm. God, that blows me away. Uh, don't quote, as usual, don't. No, 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 I, I, I'm not, but I just, because I wasn't even close. I had nothing on that. Um, uh, interesting. It almost sounded like XTC with the drum machine. It, it very much did, because they, I, there was smart songwriting going on there, and Tom, Thomas Dolby like, was kind of the first guy to usher in the uh, use of the synth in terms of he used to build his own synth. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the... Uh, uh, the Tom Schultz of uh, you know Boston. Yes, he, he made his own. He made his own guitars and guitar effects. They were always trying to sell me a shit in the guitar magazine. <laughs> me too, and I bought him a guitar yeah. center because it sounded so clean. Uh, and then Thomas Dolby was kind of the same kind of guy uh, in terms of uh, synths and stuff. He made his own, very smart. Yeah, um, like he was professor of synthology, if you will, at, like at Oxford. Very smart guy. So there's smart songwriting in that. And did what I've always said that. Uh, Erroneously, that he invented Dolby 
sound. It is not. That's not him. That's it's a different fun to building. say though. But there is something he did do. Like he owns the. Oh, I think he own he in, he owns the copyright on ringtones. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So if you don't see Thomas Dolby out playing a lot, that's the reason why he's getting lots of mailbox. Money. Yes, you might see this guy out playing around though. <laughs> Your segues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, you can probably guess who this is. Let's see. One hit wonder. I'm not very impressed tonight. Yeah, maybe you can't guess. Is this typical of his type of play? I only know the one song by him. It doesn't sound a damn thing like it, gotcha. except in one very critical respect. This is different from his one hit, his massive one hit, in that it has instrumentation. The signature hit, I guess you would have to consider, acapella. By McFerrin. Yeah. Got, cause, well, it, I mean, this is the "Don't worry, be happy" guy. Gotcha. Got yeah. Because it well, it's just all. He's using his voice as an instrument. Yeah. You know, is there any? Beautifully. Are there lyrics in here at all? I don't know. I was almost gonna say like Brian McKnight, but we know he's not a one-hit wonder. But there's a very jazzy. It's just beautiful to me. This is from a soundtrack called uh, the move. I think the motion picture is Round Midnight. So we don't know if this is the follow-up to "Don't Worry, Be Happy." I Wikipedia'd everything last night. Oh, I was up doing my taxes with my wife last night. She and I have <laughs> different till one a.m. and I was doing this on the side. And I'm sure she and I have very different approaches to doing taxes, and we each find each other's near equally aggravating. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, and then you're doing this, I'm throwing out Falco songs. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I checked on all this shit last night. I can't vouch for it, and I don't necessarily recall everything that I uh, that I checked on last night. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Interesting. If somebody wants to fact check me, God, that was a big hit. Don't worry, be happy. And it was uh, a lifestyle too. I think. uh, And and uh, Robin Williams, rest of soul, was in that video. A lot of people were. Yeah, there was. uh, Yeah, he's got some friends. I guess. wasn't Whoopi Goldberg in that as well? Yeah, I think it was the whole the comic, whole comic relief. relief. Yeah, type, yeah, yeah. Type, type, type. I seem to recall that he was on Saturday Night Live, and it's just so interesting to watch him because he's you know banging on his ribcage yeah. and make drums and shit like that. And uh, I do recall that there was another song because yeah. I was that kind of kid. Me I was too. really interested in hearing what else "Don't Worry, Be Happy" guy could do, and it was certainly not what we just listened to. I don't think that would have been the follow-up single to "Don't Worry, Be Happy." You think there'd be that, something off the album that right? wouldn't stand a chance? You, you know what I'm saying? There just they no. Had to have like a "Take It Easy, Brother." Yeah, yeah, something. <laughs> Jamaican me crazy or something. <laughs> A little play. Not just some retro jazz improv, you know. It's like, let's see if we can get on Kiss FM with that one. There, uh, be very surprised if you cannot guess this song. I'm saying, <laughs> A little taco for your listening. <laughs> This one, oddly enough, did not work. He's got a good voice, though. What are you it's talking so about? Listen to the production. The production's so bad, but if you take it out, the voice is good. Do you know Taco's his real name? I did know that. Taco Okursi, an Indonesian-born Dutch singer who began his career in Germany. And did I think this song chart? I don't know. 
so. Come on with the rain. This is the follow-up to putting on the Ritz. Is he the OG Lou Mambo? Is that where, is that where sort of, you know? Was he on that classical with the pop sensibility before anybody? Can't you hear well, his voice? His voice is good. It's not. It's like he's it's in key. serviceable. Serviceable, sure. Yeah. He's in key and he's got a, an identifiable style and everything. There was just that. I don't know that retro had ever been a thing in American pop culture before the eighties. Right. And then all of a sudden, 50s came back and 60s came back. And well, well, I'd have to I'd have to correct you on that because the movie uh, American Graffiti, of course, brought everybody back to the 50s. That's right. You remember? So it kind of had 70s, that. That's yeah. where the happy days kind of came. So I think, you know, um, that's because rock and roll was so young. It was 20 years young. So there was not, we didn't give it a chance to be retro. I think it, we kind of talked about this last time. It takes 15 to 20 years for something to be nostalgic and, and be retro again. So as soon as as soon as rock was eligible to be retro, it became retro. With America, exactly. And so I think, but yeah. the, but, but we're where Taco might fit into this, <laughs> is uh, introducing the standards, the classics yeah. in, in a pop format. Right. I mean, we're almost, you know, just having fun with that. But him, I can't think of someone who did it before him, you know. And and he also benefited from MTV, and he was kind of a charismatic, flamboyant-type yeah. character. But To me, he was, every now and again, something it makes sense in a club setting. Yes. That somebody goes downtown and they go, you know, fuck it, every, kids would like this, too. Yes, that's right. You know, and, and uh, D-Light is always the example I go to there of something that was not uncommon at all in at the limelight. No. In, in Chelsea, in New York, but somebody went, fuck, this is this is more than just... Uh, that's right. You know, it's 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 RuPaul. That's right. This is more than this. It's exa- right. It's exactly this, but it, it also transcends its thing entirely. But I'm thinking of, like... Joe Jackson and shit like that. That all of a sudden the yeah. the tuxedo with the with the the bow tie open kind of thing. Exactly. Even Saturday Night Live later on in the eighties was tapping into that sensibility. You're with right. The opening with credits G. E. Smith like, like yeah. wearing the whole thing. And the, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And then of course in the air. Harry Connick took it to the next level in the late eighties. And- it's always interesting to try to figure out. And it's once something happens, everybody can come up with a reason why. And the, the, the you know everybody always said, well, the Reagan Reagan was bringing back the fifties and represented you know Dawn for America meant just fucking let's forget the sixties and seventies ever happened. Let's right. just pretend it never. We're back to Sinatra. But for some weird reason, I don't think that's why my sister liked Dirty Dancing so much. I don't think Ronald Reagan resonated with her in any sort of historical way. So what was it about that stuff that all of a sudden... But Richie Valens made... Did Patrick Swayze just just resell? Well said. You had original recordings. Do You Love Me was... a. It's so funny when you listen to... Because I'm always listening to the countdowns on the 80s channel and on the 90s channel. And just all of a sudden... You know, there's CNC Music Factory, and here's Do You Love, whatever, who recorded, I can mash potatoes. Yeah, it's yeah. the real recording. Right. It was a contours, isn't it? Maybe. And, and well, well, Stand By Me, too, when uh, that yeah. Benny King Stand By Me went top 10, too, and when that movie came out. That's so. right. Remember that? So there's, uh, you know, retro is powerful, man. It's powerful. It's, it's powerful just always- in, Especially why, when it's why, done right. When right. it's done right, dude, it hits your rate, and that's heartstrings, and it's a wrap. I think the million-dollar question is, is it- is there something about a given time that makes a certain element of a past time relevant again? Or is it just at any given time, anybody could bring any era back if they did it right? That's interesting to even think about. 
I mean, it's, it's, and it's I have no idea what the answer is. Well, I, I, th- I guess we don't know. It's the it's the intangibles. It's mm-hmm. you know, and that's what makes it work. It's like it becomes a, a trend. As soon as somebody brings something back, then you go, oh right, people. Oh yeah, I like this oh, too. Yeah. We've all always, lo- you know, I remember when the Doors movie came out, and every single one, me and every one of my friends were listening to fucking. Faster Pussycat and yep. Dangerous Toys. L.A. Guns. And, and The Doors. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and it made, and we weren't, like, I loved that shit. Right. I wasn't just doing it to look cool. Maybe a couple of the songs I thought I got the poetic references. Right. But I just liked the songs. They're right. good, you know, and I feel like history's been really unkind to The Doors because they've been misunderstood. They're a bad, silly, classic rock band, but they're one of the great pop bands of all time. Yeah, I, I, the Doors are fighting words for me because, I mean, Jim Morrison is, is one of the best rock stars of all time. Exactly. He's one of the best frontmen, one of the best singers, and he just had an, and that's why I say I think you could, it's easy to be more charitable to him if you treat him as a pop star because if you, if you look for the depth that he presented and that he certainly believed that he had, you're going to- But was it fake? Was he not an intelligent guy? He got in UCLA. He, was, he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. He wasn't actually the Lizard King at the end of the day. No, no, that's true. But uh, it, it's interesting. I don't think he was a dumb a dumb guy. I don't think he was a dumb guy. But look at him. Think about Jim Morrison, and he would never describe himself in these words. But how is he really different from David Bowie? He showed up one day, and he's this sexy dude with his dick hanging out of leather pants, and he's a lizard king. Three fucking years later, he's a fat guy with a beard going, Well, I've been talking about an hour ago. And he sold the shit out of both of them. That's genius, man. Yeah, you know? so, and, and David Bowie gets credit for... That's, adapting on the fly. No, you're you're, you're, you're good point. I don't well, think I, I, think, I, don't, I don't think, think Marcin, Jim was trying. I don't think he yeah, tried. That's, that's the, the difference. difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Uh, I probably should have. This is probably gonna have some nonsense on the beginning of it because this is also not on iTunes, as far as I can tell. Only um, now residing on YouTube. The follow up to a a massive single. You'll never it's guess. Macarena, right? It's I mean, it's slow style rear, right? Yeah. Are you familiar with Macarena Christmas though? I am not, but they, <laughs> but it was Macarena the baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they put out another single and it was Macarena Christmas. Was it the same year as Macarena? I think it was the immediate follow up. Wow. But how zero publishing did these guys get on anything? They didn't write the song. They're adding joy to the world, which was public domain. <laughs> Come on. Come on. But it's Christmas now. It's the same <laughs> They showed up for a second video shoot. Did they change the lyrics at least? Who could tell? Joy to the oh, it world. It just sits right in there. I heard Casa Buena. Did those guys... Like make appearances? Would there have been like a wacky weenie roast where they got the Macarena guys too? I have never seen a Los Del Rios uh-huh. live performance. I don't know what they were. I think they were talk show hosts or something in Spain mm-hmm. and just fell upon this. I don't think they were a band or a group, but I could be totally wrong. I've never known so less about such a gigantic 90s thing right. than, than these guys. Well, in Baja Men, we don't know a goddamn... Well, I do know this. Up. I know they. I know they were from you know the Bahamas. So I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> you listen very closely. <laughs> I do know. I do know they played live, and they played the uh, because I tend every now and then we'll make 
play the Epcot Center at Disney World every mm-hmm. now and then, every year. Uh, and they, I want to go to Epcot. It's really fun. I'll I mean, be your roadie. Especially when you have kids. It's really fun. Right. Uh, and Vaha Men were on the uh, roster of artists that were playing last year there. So I, I know a little bit about them. They are live and breathing, and they have a social media. I mean, where is Los Del Rios? Who are they? Where are they? What happened? I mean, there's zero backstory. Is there a is there a Tonight Show appearance of them doing the Macarena? I mean, what? I mean, that song was so huge. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I do. Can't, I, All I can think about is I always go here with this these sorts of things is were there Los Del Rio's groupies, like really legitimate, hot, right. beautiful. Like did they get to go play some club in Barcelona and girls were like, fuck it, I'm seeing the angle on the old guy. Cause... I promise you there was. Man. Because having a hit that big and sort of having that sort of fame, that thing, if you yeah. get on Ibiza, kids are flying on you, and you see these old guys remind you of your uncle or your whatever, but it's not, that's on you. Whatever your thing is. So they definitely had some of the hottest chicks in the world. And it wasn't that. like a, uh, okay, did 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 Bobby McFerrin have groupies? Absolutely. Okay, if Bobby McFerrin has groupies, because at least Macarena was like a... A fun party jam. Yeah, you right? get, get on the dance floor yeah. kind of thing, and dancing is really... It's just just... Yeah, basically ritualistic music sex. Bobby McFerrin got the, which the, I think was a uh, was an album from uh, Kraftwerk. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby McFerrin got the uh, cerebral, you know, in touch with their identity, uh, you know, the reggae spirit vibe chick. Right, you know that chick that bought her first uh, incense sticks in in college and lit them, smoked some weed, and bought the Legend by Bob Marley. Yeah, that's the kind of chick that Bobby McFerrin. <laughs> Boom! Got. Here's McFerrin swooping in. <laughs> Uh, we barely have time for one more, but I really want to play this. I, I, yes. I, I, I'm going to guess you know this as well. I fucking love this song. I don't think this did anything. Sounds like Lisa Stansfield, but I know it's not. is i thought moo moo land might be a clue for you because this band had a complicated mythology that i don't think ever actually added up to anything that is the klf oh it's the klf and justified and ancient that's not the album version but there is a video was that the name of the album uh was it engines of moo moo i don't remember and the klf that 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 whole band escaped me yeah, they, and they escaped me. Reputedly geniuses and an art project, and they had a, some short video they made where they literally burned a million pounds. I was saying, were they the ones that burned? They burned I always get the KMFD on an, on an, mixed up with KLF. No, this is KLF. So they had this song, and they did this remix with Tammy Wynette. It's great. And they made a video. It's fucking, it's a great song. So they're an art collective. Yeah. That is like anarchist. going to rock you. Right, right, right. right. And they had a huge hit. KLF. I remember that. But then they burned a million pounds and then, and just kind of effed off. Yeah. Right? They never played again. They, they. I think that's about right. I want to say they may have done something more recently, but. 
this this we could do a whole show that no one would want to listen to about <laughs> just these collectives that right. cranked out humongous arena ready dance hits in the nineties. Well, Chumbawamba is the ultimate example of that. Oh, I'm thinking of your your black box, your snap, oh, yeah. Oh, your yeah. real McCoy. Real McCoy had a couple hits. Did they? They're they're in the, my Mark and Ralph's 120. We they're quite a few. Okay. Yeah. They're all covers. Speaking yeah. of Mark McGrath's hey! 120, we gotta go. You're you're here every weekend on the 90s on nine on Sirius XM summer tour dates at markmcgrath.com. Yes, indeed. Check it out. Hit me up on Twitter at mark underscore mcgrath. Also, I'm on Instagram now at the real mark mcgrath. So, welcome. Love to welcome. hear from you guys. And you guys, every time I love talking about what we and Tully do here. So hit us up. Yeah, please, please uh, fact uh, fact check us with reckless abandon. Yeah, no, it's always fun, and we'll do a part four one of these days. Thanks, Mark. I'd love to.